Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is Lane County Commissioner Heather Buck. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So this is really cool. We met briefly at the Lane County Fair uh, last summer, and you were very warm, and, and it, was, it was great to meet you. I was honored that you even knew who I was, <laughs> and, uh, and it got cut short because of the shooting. That was pretty wild. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we did at sitting at the, at the DPLC tent, we had no idea what we were facing and everyone kind of dispersed really quickly. And fortunately it wasn't a, just a small isolated incident, but that was pretty scary. So it's been almost a year and I just read that they're going to be having clear bags at least. So that's a step in the right direction that there was, the security was an issue, but we have so much to talk about and we don't have a ton of time today, about 30 minutes. So uh, you are Lane County Commissioner for District 5, which is a humongous district that covers Blue River, Coburg, Cottage Grove, Cresswell, Dexter, Lieberg, McKenzie Bridge, Oak Ridge, a lot of the rural community, and uh, you're seeking re-election. So yeah. I wanted to list off some of your endorsements, some big, big hitters in the Democratic Party of, of Oregon, Ron Wyden, Jeff Merkley, Peter DeFazio, Val Hoyle, who's running for Congress, she's currently Labor Secretary, and then... And a unanimous endorsement from the DPLC, among others. There's a lot of different organizations. So uh, you're obviously getting high regard for the work that you've done. So let's talk about what you've done. In You took office in, in 2019. And uh, some of the big things you had faced, the Holiday Farms fire, because that's right in your region, in the McKenzie Bridge, Blue River area. Nice. That that had to have been pretty wild. You're like, okay, here we go. You know, You know, and... What was it like when you first took office? What was kind of, I mean, what did you have an idea of what exactly what you, of course you would not know you'd be facing the holiday farms fire and COVID, No. but what was your initial thought, what it would be like and what, what was your biggest challenge early on? Well, the first year you're really getting into the heart of all the big issues and the budget uh, for the first time, there's a lot of really good work that happened in 2019. Uh, and then in, and I was vice chair of the board at that in my first year, became chair in 2020. And that of course is the year in which the pandemic occurred. And then the holiday farm fire, mega fire and labor day that same year. So I have to say Either of those challenges alone were pretty significant, but together uh, they were unprecedented for the county. 
uh, to work on. We had two emergency operations centers going. I was stationed in the EOC um, and the incident command post for the Holiday Farm Fire going back and forth and being heavily involved in emergency response. Not to mention prior to that, we had already had uh, floods and um, smaller fires from the from previous years. So emergency response is all uh, East Lane in uh, a nutshell in the last couple of years. There are obviously lots of other big issues and topics that we're tackling um, that are equally challenging, but I would have to say managing those two at the same time was pretty significant and uh, quite humbling, and I'm quite proud of yeah. the county's response in both in, yeah. in both items. I've talked about it on the show that I have a, a little bit of a connection to the Blue River McKenzie community. My Both of my stepsons went to McKenzie High School um, when they were living with their dad. And I'll never forget that day, you know, when we found out that the fires had took off because Malachi, my oldest stepson was living with us at that time. And it was just, it was, he was, he was shaking. He was like, he didn't hyperventilating. He's like, everybody's, everyone's home's on fire, (laughs) you know? And that was just, it was wild. The silver lining of something like that, a tragedy like that is to see what happened when people came together. It was, it was unreal. And people put politics to the side and just were there to help each other. And that was really cool. You even saw at the, at us. I think it was at Springfield High School at that time, the the recovery efforts. You even saw BLM and Proud Boys moving stuff together. It was pretty wild. But but uh so you know, on the board of commissioners, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but on YouTube there's a page called Lane County Public Meetings, and anybody can access the meetings that you uh partake in. And I mean, yeah, they're they're kinda slow moving for a lot of the average people. And it's, it's kind of shocking to me, but I looked and there's only like 180 subscribers to that YouTube channel. So I just don't know if people knew about it. So I wanted to mention that at least that there's ways for people to get involved, at least to be more informed of what's happening in our area. That's right. We've been mainly on zoom since the pandemic hit. And so of course those have been online and people can watch or join uh, and do public comment anytime we are in the midst of some pretty big construction projects there at Harris Hall. So uh, we're trying to accommodate in person again in perhaps a smaller conference room. We'll hear more about that real soon. We're all very anxious to get back in person with the public. So you would prefer to be in person over the virtual? Oh, yeah. yeah. Anytime, hands down. Uh, I think we're all zoomed out. Yeah. Uh, we've been zoomed out for quite some time. Yeah. And, and there's nothing that can take away the experience of one-on-one conversations with people or even group conversations in person right. is a different dynamic. Um, I am pleased that we are able to uh, ensure that more people can watch too, that weren't able to come in attendance the first time. So we'll be doing hybrid meetings. Yeah. And that's what I love because I personally prefer being on because of how much more you can do, you know, the virtual stuff. And so the access is available to more people by being virtual. So the hybrid stuff is great. And I hope that that's the, the future. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. So we mentioned the Holiday Farms fire, and, and you've probably talked about that ad nauseum. So we're going to move on to some stuff moving forward. And that's an ongoing effort, but, you know. Yes, it will be years in, absolutely. in recovery. So, but we have so much to talk about. So let's talk about first uh, rural broadband and and what you what you can tell me about what's happening with that. There have been concerted efforts over the last few years. It's one of my passions to work on rural broadband. 
to um, help our my largely rural community uh, leap into the 21st century here and be able to participate on numerous levels with um, the activity that that is actually it's a basic necessity now in order to live life, regardless of whether you're in the metro or rural area. And so. We've been working through consortium of uh, different uh, internet providers. I was really uh, interested in advocating for the recent transportation infrastructure package that passed because in there is a large bucket of money for uh, rural broadband. And that eventually will be coming through to the state and then we all have to, you know, go after the grants that they'll put out with that funding. And so when we're trying to position Lane County in a really strong position to be competitive in those grants. And that's happening on uh, a couple different levels. Of course, the county in particular is very interested in that because we want to find ways in which to get people connected um, outside the core metro area. And we also know that in order to be competitive, we need to be able to uh, adjoin our regional counties in advocating and submitting packages where it looks uh, really competitive because we're doing a large area and we're all working together. And so at the Lane Council of Governments, um, we're also working to add some staff that that is what they're solely dedicated to doing is putting that regional plan together and then placing that plan in front of those grantors that will be issuing that funding. I believe that funding will probably start coming out at, at least in small segments uh, next year. So we have, you know, not a lot of time to yeah. get our ducks in a row, um, but we have been working on it uh, under uh, a lot of other issues that we just talked about sure. along the way in the last few years. And I'll continue to advocate for, for getting those dollars down here to Lane County. You know, and, and with broadband, you're talking about home internet. Is there anything that could be done for mobile? I mean, that's a lot of people, obviously you could be on Wi-Fi on your phone at home. But man, when you go out to the rural communities, for any of us that live in town that have gone camping, and we we learn real quick that there's no service, you know, you know and right. and I don't know if that's something that's done on the on the state or local level, or if it's done by the companies like Verizon or those companies. The state is really the one that regulates that for for phone, like the large providers. I've gotten into those conversations mainly because in the aftermath of the holiday farm fire, we had no communications and we were trying to get all that back up river as best that we could. And working with those large providers was really not, uh, they weren't listening to us on the local level. And part of the leverage to get them back was our state legislators advocating at the state level uh, to make sure they abide by their contract and get that service in. Um, but I, I imagine as technology progresses and more opportunities present themselves, we'll be able to integrate that back up in not only the McKinsey region, but outlining areas, but communication is key. If we don't have internet, we don't have phone lines, people aren't moving back up river. It's just a fact of life. It's just a basic necessity that people need to have. And it's also what's needed for economic base in rural communities. They need to be competitive 
um, with people all over the world because a lot of people doing this stuff online, selling their goods online yeah. or transmitting payments, you know, for, for services online. And they need to be able to do that. Um, it, I'm a huge advocate for pushing that forward. Absolutely. So your website says that you're an advocate for the climate action plan. I got to be honest, I don't even really know what the climate action plan is. So I was hoping today briefly that you could kind of explain to us what it is and why you're uh, strongly supporting it. Sure. We we talked about this early uh, in my first year uh, regarding what can the county do to participate in solutions to reduce greenhouse gases. And that's really where we came together and said, okay, we have a role in this. Every agency, uh, every governmental agency really has a role that they can take. What is that role? Let's put together a group of folks that um, that are volunteers, basically from the community, into an advocacy group and come up with a plan uh, as to what the county can do uh, for our part in reduction of greenhouse gases. So that's it in a nutshell. That has uh, developed in the last few years into first reviewing what kind of greenhouse gases the county produces as an agency. And where that's our base, like, well, that's our base number. Okay, we now have that. And what can we do to reduce it? And so we are going to be looking at a plan, a point a 2.0 version basically here in the coming weeks at the board to look at options as to how we can do more engage more um, what can we get grants for perhaps to reduce gas uh, greenhouse gas emissions here locally and we know that you know our climate is changing and part of it is human cost and we need to do anything and everything that we can to maintain, uh, you know, the best environment possible so that we don't see megafires, so that we don't see flooding, uh, that we've, and we don't, we don't have these natural disasters to the extent that they're, that we're experiencing now. And, you know, obviously in a rural Oregon community and it's broad, like we had talked about that you cover such a wide range of people, you know, there's people, the the communities are different in Cresswell and Cottage Grove and Oak Ridge and McKenzie. They're very different from each other, but as, as you campaign, and this is your second go at it, uh, what do you tell people that are resistant to any type of green energy changes? You know, that they're like, they're just kind of locked in. They're like, what are you going to, what about my timber job? Or what about my, I don't, I don't know exactly the, the industry that's in your, your district primarily, but there's a lot of people that are so opposed to any, of even having the conversation. So, I mean, the letter, the letter next to your name being a D sometimes is enough for them to be like, nope. So what do you tell those people? Technically our positions are nonpartisan. Right. So when I go out and speak to people, I'm talking to them on, uh, about basic human needs and many people, uh, there are differences between rural communities and metro communities, but at the heart of the matter, uh, there's a lot of things that everybody cares about. They all care uh, about uh, their environment in in a variety of ways. People have seen the changes in the climate um, I don't think people are ignoring that or just saying it's not happening. It's how they go about uh, participating in perhaps reducing greenhouse gases 
that might be different from various communities. But you'd be surprised at how many people really want to come together and find some solutions. And that's what we as commissioners can help facilitate. There are people in rural communities and metro communities that both really care about this particular issue, and uh, they can be different political affiliations. And when we come together and we all talk about it together, we have meaningful conversations and push forward actual solutions that people can agree on. And that's part of the process of the Climate Action Plan. It It's also... Um, it's also very similar when I'm talking about, hey, what what do you want me as a commissioner to be working on in these coming years? And across the board, it's pretty similar. Housing affordability, homelessness, public safety, public health. Uh, and these are all things that the county has a significant role in. So it's not quite as different as some people think. Um, there are nuances and, and changes because of distance and less population. Um, but overarching, these big topics are are pretty passionate topics for most folks. Yeah. And I think I, I, I sometimes forget that, that it is that, you know, like uh, even the mayor is a nonpartisan seat. And, and so uh, it is something that, you know, you're representing a huge group of people. And I think I always say this on the show. People often think that if you're conservative, that you don't care about the earth and that can't be farther from the truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because if you go into these small communities, and like I said, I spent a lot of time up in the McKenzie, there's people of all beliefs and they agree on one thing. If you're going to come up there, you take your garbage with you. You know, you leave, you leave no trace. That's an Oregon tenant, you know, it's something that we take pride in. And so I think that it's just like you had talked about, it's just the way that maybe you go about it, you know, that people right. look at it differently but they all want the same thing. So that's, that's awesome. So now uh, your work as a housing advocate, this is something that you're extremely passionate about. Uh, what are some ways that you've helped people in the rural area stay in their homes? I know that the holiday farms fire is a big part of it, but just beyond that, even if take that out of the equation, uh, what are some ways that you've helped people in Oregon stay in their homes? Housing and homelessness issues, as I mentioned earlier, are top, priorities. So I experienced some unstable housing as a child. So that was permanently seared in my heart and something I'm very passionate on working on. Um, there are a variety of different ways the county can be involved in helping housing affordability through our housing action plan as chair in 2020. That was a passion of mine. Um, it is a really good report on various policy issues that we as a community can come together and look at and implement that will help advance housing affordability across the board. And it's uh, something that I want to see implemented uh, right away. We have been working on it, but with pandemic and fires, it, it kind of halted a little bit. And so it's really um, important for me to get that jump started and in in our agendas for the rest of the year and into my next term because there there are so many good suggestions in that report that everybody could agree on and we can implement right away and when it comes to our unsheltered folks 
Uh, I've been advocating really strongly on having a more regional approach. It has been very common in our community that we have separate agencies working on this issue. And that's really homegrown because of the need over the years. We've had nonprofits, churches, and um, recently more often our governmental agencies taking a really close look and trying to advocate and find money and resources to assist. But we're all working in a lot of silos mainly and competing for the same money in order to solve a very similar issue. So it's really important that we work as a region and a team in order to advance and leverage our experience and our resources for a higher and better use to address the problem. I think that's gaining ground. Um, It's taken some conversations between the county government and the city of Eugene government and working together and building uh, better relationships over the years so that we can more fully uh, implement that. And then what I also want to do is make sure we bring in that business community because it is really important to them and their business and their staff in order to stay afloat. Not only have they been hit really hard with the pandemic, um, but they also uh, feel the pains of folks on the streets as well in their everyday life. Um, so there, there's a lot more community that can come together around this particular issue. And I really want to help convene that and uh, assist that as a larger community conversation. So, you know, do you see the same time? I mean, obviously in Eugene, homelessness is very apparent. It's it's there because it's, it's right on city streets. Do you see a lot of homelessness in the rural community or is it, you know, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, it, you know. There, there is a lot of homeless in rural community as well. Before I became commissioner, when I worked with St. Vincent of Paul, that's all I worked on was the really diving into communities, primarily in East Lane County, that were suffering from uninhabitable homes in communities that were blighted uh, with a lot of drug activity, um, a, a lot of crime, um, and health-related issues because of it, <clears throat> and it, but the, the, when they're in the rural communities, sometimes they are um, more hidden. They're not necessarily on the local main street. Uh, they, uh, but they're there. They're there. And we know that the population and the community is growing. I was just down in Cottage Grove where they're having a housing town hall. And uh, they had a, they had about 200 people in the community come to that town hall because they knew that this was a growing issue. They are now starting to see some of those folks come into town for services and on Main Street. So it's becoming more visible and they all want to do something about it. They need to do something about it. And they have some really uh, wonderful solutions coming down the pike and just having these really great community conversations about it. And when I'm up, say, in Oak Ridge, you know, there's a lot of low-income folks. Um, The problem is all over. It's not just in the metro centers of Eugene and Springfield. It's 
not only all over our state. It is a national issue. Right. We see it uh, poignantly on the West Coast uh, because we live in a wonderful place and people are coming here and the demand for housing is increasing. The cost of housing is increasing and that's pushing a lot of people out uh, of affordable living. So what we need to do is find solutions to help them find first a home because the only real solution to our unsheltered is getting them into a home. Right. Um, but a lot of them have, you know, compounding issues. So permanent supportive housing is really a wonderful solution so that they can not only get into housing right away, but they can have those social services at their fingertips right there in the same building in order to assist them to have a successful transition into a permanent housing lifestyle. Um, so we're seeking a lot of resources for that and looking for opportunities through not only the county commission, but also our housing authority known as Homes for Good. Now the a lot of people don't know that the Board of County Commissioners is the board also of Homes for Good. Yeah. So now permanent supportive housing, I've talked about it a little bit on the show. Can For somebody that doesn't understand what that is, can you kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. So it's a transition from folks that are living on the street or living in what we would call uh, uninhabitable housing or not traditional housing and put them into an actual home, most likely an apartment style uh, of varying degrees. And so that would be permanent housing, but it would have supports along with it namely the social services that will help them be successful. These are services that can help them find a job. They can help them with healthcare. Maybe they're on disability, but they're not getting their disability uh, funding that they should help them with their IDs. Um, And if they need uh, more psychological care or mental health care, we can plug them into any of those services that they might need in order to maintain that permanent housing and be successful. And then also using the housing first model, which we've talked about, you know, for people that find themselves to be unsheltered, that let's get them housed and then we'll kind of worry about the next step, you know, cause a lot of people are like, well, if they stop doing drugs or whatever it is, and it's, there's some truth that addiction is, is a big part of it, if not the biggest part of it. But it's still, it's like, you're not going to get sober. Somebody I've, I've dealt with alcoholism and I'm six years sober now. And I can tell you that I've been very fortunate that I was never homeless because I was working and I was functioning, but it was close. (laughs) You know, it was very close that it could have all fallen apart. And I had support systems for my family and friends that, you know, I collected on some favors that I had given in the past, basically at times when I was in need. So I was very fortunate that I didn't find myself there, but I have close friends that have been there. And yeah, it's challenging. And part of that is uh, what we're working on now as a mental health stabilization center. So if folks find them in a, uh, themselves in a place where uh, they need some psychological assistance, this would be a building where it could uh, house both youth and adult for up to 30 days, uh, open 24 seven, no questions, come on in. We'll have psychological and healthcare, uh, people available for them. And this is a place where we can help stop that recidivism of 
people who are maybe dual diagnosed or have uh, additional issues in order to maintain stability in a permanent supportive housing uh, situation. And this will also assist, you know, when it comes to crime reduction in our community, we all know that public safety is a huge issue. Uh, and there are a variety of levels of public safety at the county level. Um, our public safety is mainly the sheriff's office. Um, and we maintain the jail. And I'm very proud to say that we've been able to add a dozen new sheriff positions since I've been commissioner and done uh, a lot of investment in upgrading the jail system in our recent um, American Rescue Plan funding, we've been able to add 17.5 million to do upgrades in the jail system. So it's um, more into the 21st century type of uh, style of what we know is really important to not only maintain stability within the jail system, but also really care for the people that are coming in. Uh, I'm very proud of the fact that our sheriff uh, culture is that we're really tied together with this same issue. There's housing, homelessness, mental health. We, we don't need and don't want our jail to be our largest mental health uh, facility, which it is. Yeah. So this mental health stabilization center is really crucial to not only reducing taxpayer costs associated with really expensive uh, public safety needs, um, but also a more humane and dignified way to assist people um, to be more successful in their lives, not only from housing, but you know, be able to get that good job and be able to participate in, fully in the community again. Yeah, and in Springfield, I don't know a ton of the details, you know, yet, but we saw the devastation that how that homelessness can cause yesterday where we had a fire, structural fire. And it sounds like there's two people that were living inside of an abandoned building. It sounds like that may have started fires. We don't know exactly, but may have started fires to keep warm or whatever. And then that ended up causing the, the place to collapse. And I think both of them lost their life. So it's, it's from what I'm hearing. I don't know a ton. We'll, we'll learn more about that, but that was on like 20th and Maine. And so these are the things that, I mean, it's just devastating, you know, and I've done my part or doing, I'm trying to do my part in, in raising awareness about some of these issues and talk to people like yourself that are trying to find ways to, to create some safety nets, you know, at least. And that's really what it comes down to. My, my take on government is that that's what it is. It's like, do you believe in safety nets or do you, do you believe that you should be all in this alone, you know, and that, that you should just always have a backup plan on your own. And sometimes that's just not feasible. So we need those safety nets, you know? And so yes. I appreciate the work that you're doing. You know, uh, we've got, this is such a huge election, you know, for not just locally. I mean, the, the midterms, I, I found out the date. So it's, it's very important that people understand this. If you haven't registered to vote yet, or if you're not registered for a party, we had already said yours is a nonpartisan seat, but there's some very, very important democratic races, namely Peter DeFazio's Congress seat. And so if you're not registered yet or registered as a party, Democrat or Republican or whatnot, you need to do so by April 26th. So that's the deadline. So don't wait till the end, you know, do that now. And you can go to vote.gov to find out how, and the Oregon uh, secretary of state's website as well, but Oregon or vote.gov is a very good resource for that. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly about the justice uh, Katanji Brown Jackson 
being uh, nominated and why representation matters, you know, and what it, what this means to you as a woman uh, as also, you know, to see, obviously we've had women on the court, but this is the first black woman. So this is monumental. Uh, what were your thoughts watching this nomination and also, you know, some of the treatment that she went through? Well, clearly it's a historical nomination. Um, and, you know, those, the, the, women that elevate to that particular level are role models for lots of other little girls all over the country. Um, it's uh, phenomenal. Uh, when I ran, um, I ran, and I, I was the only woman running. There was no woman on the board. Um, and so representation is critical. It's critical. Um, I'm lucky that I'm able to uh, be privileged enough to represent people in East Lane County. Uh, I'm, I believe, only the seventh woman ever to have been on the board of county commissioners. Um, of course, now I serve with another woman. And uh, interestingly enough, um, prior to uh, that, women had only represented rural communities as on the board of commissioners. Um, and, and so... It's it's just an it evolves to a point where you know you're breaking boundaries, you're moving in uh, directions that maybe haven't been uh, considered before. You we think of different things. Uh, we're different. You know, we all have different ideas about what's important and and a passion. I'm I'm also the only uh, person on the board that has a small child. So I do get to see my little one uh, and, and it's just a different kind of role model uh, for her, seeing her mom as an elected official and growing up, seeing that is really, really important to young girls and boys yeah, throughout the country. No, absolutely. And I, you know, researching a little bit about you for this interview, I was reading about your personal story about being raised by a single mother. And I relate to that because I was also raised by a single mother. I did have, I call them my every other weekend dad. My dad was great and I lived with him in high school. But as a child, I lived in with my mom in her home and watched her. She was a social worker for senior disabled services. But before that, I watched her graduate from college, you know. And so it was breaking barriers that I witnessed. But I have to say at that time, I thought I was going to be president. So that just shows you the privilege that I now understand more than ever because I still thought with all of those obstacles and all of these things that we faced that it was possible. Like, I never questioned that, that I could be. I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but I literally thought that. And so that was my aspiration. So I know how big this is for somebody like you're saying, like your child or, or, or the daughter of Katanji Brown Jackson watching her do this. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, now I know I can. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's just so huge. I think that it was, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to run a blank on his name. Senator, uh, one of the senators that was talking uh, about it and he was talking about his kid and watching it. And he, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name right now. It doesn't matter. But yeah, so I just, I just, I've learned a lot from, from, from watching and listening to people's different personal stories about why representation matters. And it's something that this podcast has taught me a ton about that. So I wanted to at least touch on that. And you know, it's it's pretty cool to see where you've came from to where you are today and the experience that you had compared to what your child is having, I'm sure is very different. So, well, Heather Buck, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, 
you know, there's an election coming up. I think that it's very vital that people keep you in office, you know, and, and, and anybody that's interested can go to YouTube and look up, let me make sure I got the right thing again. It's the Lane County public meetings and they can watch the work that you're doing, uh, in the meetings for the board of commissioners. And yes, for the average person, it's a little slow, but I think it's really important that we inform ourselves. So thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Heather Buck for uh, reelect Heather Buck for Lane County commissioner. We're going to get out of here. So thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to end this with a song. I chose this. This is a good friend of mine, uh, Lee Jones of the group Buffalo Romeo. They just put out a new album. It's available on Spotify. I'm going to play a couple of their songs in the next couple weeks. So this is the first one. This is called Unsafe at Any Speed by Buffalo Romeo. Thank you. Yeah, Billy and me were outsiders. Now we never did fit in. Getting off on the end we kept laughing just to kill the pain We were heads full of questions and dreams Bigger than any school Busting out at the seams all over Yeah, while we kept on playing the fools Do you remember that night, Billy? Hey, we were sideways in the road Told our folks we were camping We took your Corvair out to the Colorado at the river We kicked back and parted With all the wandering freaks I wonder if they were like us We'll never know Cause half of them could not speak We were unsafe at any speed And it's a wonder that we survived Unsafe at any speed Oh, we felt weird to be alive Unsafe at any speed Flying away on the magic and the beauty Laughing, crying, belting out harmony Last night I had it happen again, Billy I was with some friends, we were drinking wine I drifted off in the music A chill shot down my spine And I was flying, it's like a gift from God Or the universe or something To feel that one sweet moment of bliss The perfect chord, sunset or
kids today now, Billy. Yeah. Oh, I can't understand what they do. Extremely odd behavior and hair. Yeah, half of them can't tie their shoes as they're glued to the video screen. Eating pizza and talking about virtual reality. TikTok, gender flux, tinderbox, Bitcoin. What the actual fox? It's all Greek to me. But what's the difference between them and us, Billy? In the end, but what the hell do we know? We keep seeking the limits of love and existence as we re-